0: That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Terms and Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, wanted to talk to you about a great new way to play daily fantasy sports. I've talked about it a ton. If you're a regular listener, you know about it. It is super draft. It is a great way to play daily fantasy sports. No prices. You play the guys you want. It's an exclusive multiplier point system. The point system is similar to FanDuel, but when you you pick your guys, if there's more of a gamble when you pick them, you get a higher multiplier. So take the chances you want or play the chalk that you like, whatever you want. But it's awesome. Go to Super Draft in your app store. Check it out. When you create your account, use promo code Bubba to get you all set up. When you make your first deposit, you get a free $10 deposit bonus. Right now they got Baseball. Football, golf, and then basketball and hockey are coming right around the corner. So go check it out. Super draft in your app store. Promo code BUBBA when you set up your account. Free $10 deposit bonus. Also, if you're rating review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help the podcast out quite a bit. Just an FYI, awesome podcast. Spore brings the hammer. We had a little bit of technical difficulties here and there. I cleaned it up the best I could. Listen to it all, though. Awesome, awesome stuff. But a rating review would be much appreciated. But for now, Bench with Bubba, episode 214 with Paul Sporer of Fangraphs and Rotographs talking to little 2020 starting pitchers. Check it out. Back everybody to another episode of benched with Bubba, episode two fourteen. Going to talk a little twenty twenty starting pitcher outlook for your fantasy baseball teams. In order to do so, joined by a special guest, one of the pitching gurus in fantasy baseball. You can find him on Twitter at sporer, all over Fangraphs, and much much more. Paul, how we doing, man?
2: Bubba, I'm well. How you doing?
1: I'm doing. I'm doing on a Thursday as uh, the. Baseball season winds down, got a little Phillies Nats on the tube. What's just your overall thoughts? We we don't have to go super deep into this. I know you talk about it a lot, but with this season, the way pitching was kind of wild, just what's your overall thoughts looking at 2020 right now as a lot will change? But you have some drafts coming up in a few weeks. What's your thoughts on 2020 SP right now?
2: You know, I I don't know that it's going to change too much from what I was looking at this year which is, you know, I term something called the glob, whatever you want to call it, where the talent really starts to consolidate and you get into these ranking uh, areas where uh, there's 30, 40, maybe even 50 pitchers that you can make a case to rank them in virtually any order. I do think it starts earlier now, though, right? We've, we're, we're aging some of our studs out a little bit. Uh, Kluber, you know, has come back to the pack with his health, partly not, not on his own... Uh, you know, not, not something that he could control as a batted ball, but he wasn't pitching well before then. And, you know, Chris Sale obviously had a tough season. He's kind of come back to the pack. I think Snell's still up there, but but he had a tough season with health. So I think a I glob starts even sooner. Now there's like an upper-tier glob, and then there's the giant one. And I think you need to kind of make your picks there, though. It, it, normally when there's a talent glob like that, people want to say, well, I'll take what the draft gives me. I choose to be more aggressive and get the guys I truly believe in though. I don't want to be stuck with somebody that I don't really trust. So I'm going to be proactive. Um, I'm open to a first round or second round starter. It's not a must. And I do think that the tiers of pitching say from pitcher 15 to 40 can still be a fruitful area.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways, there's a pitcher you can trust because there's a lot of those guys after your, the globs that you're speaking of when you get to rounds five and beyond, probably even four sort of and beyond where it gets pretty murky. And Absolutely. that's where, that's where you got to hit and miss. And I, I don't remember the exact number. that we, I believe Ariel Cohen's wrote about it and some others where it's like 20, 25 percent of those guys pan out. Whereas the you know top 15 or so, as you're saying, really a lot more stability there and something you can talk about. And right before we started recording, I was on Twitter and Brian Slack tweeted out nicely the uh, top 10 in the NFPC main, he put all their first three picks and most of them had at least one ace, if not two.
2: So, Oh man, he took a, he took an article idea. I was going to do that's great though. Brian Slack's yeah. awesome. Um, I was going to go back and look and kind of see what the pitch. I actually was in the league with the number one team, not why I had a bad season. I'd love to blame <laughs> it on that. Um, But yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting to see his team was, was built there. And, I think we're seeing it already. I mean, drafts have already started. Got another draft coming up in Arizona. I saw the two urban's a lot here, and people are attacking their pitching. They want to have one within those first three picks.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. So let's talk about a few guys for anybody that doing early drafts, or you know, wants to get an idea. You know, two early mocks are in the books. Again, thanks to Mason for doing those year after year. But let's talk about first some guys that one would say overachieved ADP this past year. Mm-hmm. We'll start with Shane Bieber, who was. Going around pick one twenty six in NFBCs this year in the final month leading up to the season, you know, too, too early. mocks, hasn't going around pick twenty nine. He's been a beast. I was one of the guys that kind of doubted him. I, I saw too much same. To contact. I I didn't see how this was going to develop, and he's been awesome. Are you buying that this guy is the same guy we're going to see going forward, or do we see more of a revert to what you and I might have saw coming
2: into two thousand nineteen? Me and and perhaps for you as well, it was a wait and see. I didn't believe it yet. I understood that it could be there, but I wasn't ready to take the risk that other folks were. I've done the Michael Pineda experience. I've done the Jeff Samarja experience, and I was seeing a lot of similarities there, where he gets the strikeouts, he limits the walks, but he's a home run machine, Um, and that's what I worried about with Bieber. It's really between command and control are guys like that they can control the zone they can fill up the zone all day but they're not quality strikes all the time and they're so set on not walking guys that they'll give in and so on that three two count throwing something that's very hittable three one even more hittable, you know and so he was getting beaten around the art bieber was well this year i think we really saw the command dial up now the home runs were still there but they were solo shots and the home runs were there for just about everybody this year, so I'm I'm reluctant to really hold that against Bieber. While we can say maybe the ERA might come back a little bit, let's say a couple more hits drop in, and maybe he doesn't lead the AL in walks, so the homers are a bit more damaging. I think the strikeouts are going to remain great, and not only that, but the overall volume. I think this guy's going to challenge for innings crowns. Shane Bieber is, mm-hmm. and so particularly in today's game has up from individual players is so important so I'm I'm pretty bought in here I actually had him ranked seventh in my first run and um, again the strikeout walk ratio with the improved game and loads of innings of course if he stays healthy but that's a risk for every pitcher so I don't I'm even reluctant to say that I don't want to say that every time with every pitcher uh, but yeah I really like Shane here I wasn't ready to buy in but once I started to see that command I was like okay he started to move up my rankings, even though I didn't have him, you know, I didn't get to get him at the draft table, but I was happy to say I'm, I'm wrong. He did develop and congrats to those who bet on the come.
1: Yeah. Cause he was in that kind of area where Eduardo Rodriguez, Nick Pavetta, Shane Bieber, all kind of mm-hmm. going around the same spot. I think most of us were looking at Pavetta. I liked Erod a bit too, and that's worked out in the end, but Shane Bieber, I, I didn't see it coming. And a big part you mentioned is the inning eating ability. That's something we don't see in this era of baseball. It's like, six innings is is a well like obviously it's a stupid quality start but people think it's you know it's it's the goal is to get six innings and that's not how it used to be when you and i started watching baseball so not at all a lot of that's
2: changed you you can make a case uh we talk about win loss and and how worthless it is in today's game because it's five six innings it's always been flawed win loss as as far as like a talent judge but at least back in the day when guys were minimum going seven they had a, they had a tough day if they only went seven they were they were out there at eight or nine at least they had more control over their win loss and so you could look at a uh you know 22 and seven record and actually say that there was something more to it this the team's support but yeah these days with all the five inning six inning you have so much volatility in a win loss that it just it tells you nothing about the actual pitcher
1: yeah, nothing at all. And you want to talk about going throwback style as we're wrap uh, as we're recording here. The Rangers are up seven to five. Mike Miner had 120 pitches through eight, and he's going out for the ninth in and that ball game. I'll tell you, what,
2: I'll tell you what. I'm gonna I'm gonna go full Homer or or, or you know central focused on myself because nobody cares. Got him on my fantasy team, and I need the complete game because That's the, what you didn't say is that he's given up five earned on 10 hits so he actually it could save this and he has the two outs now he's he's one out away from getting it i think they actually took him out for the last out. Uh, game i think the game's over now but uh isn't that that's such an old-school game right there. Yeah, they let LeClerc mm-hmm. get the one-out save. Wow. I wonder if it going help, uh, help some folks. By the way, how much crazy stuff is happening this week where you know <laughs> these like two low-level players are winning leagues, John Birdie with yeah. four steals in a game, uh, Garrett Hampson, a guy I love coming into the year, absolutely dominating. I don't want to derail us from the pitching stuff, but th- this Mike Miner or even the Jose LeClerc one-out save, this stuff is changing leagues right now
1: yeah it's absolutely crazy i I do a podcast with toby backflip crazy and he's been big on john birdie for those steals and he has them everywhere so when he stole four bases the other night it was like backflip central for him absolutely
2: four in a game are you kidding me
1: well, in that same night, Dakota Hudson saves both games of a doubleheader. Two
2: saves. Yeah, Daniel
1: Hudson, yes. Daniel, yes. Daniel. That's, sorry, that's Dakota. another one
2: who's yeah, changing leagues to get yes. two saves in one day from your third-tier starter or uh, closer. Excuse me. It, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And, and I, I kinda have, love it.
1: Well and then you have all these other guys getting shut down like Acuna and Josh Bell and I see and all these guys where you're like, Okay, I was relying on you and
2: now John Birdies of the world are carrying That's us. the sad part though, right? Is that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind when the the glue guys, the the back end guys are doing stuff, but they're actually for so many people because of all these shutdowns and i do wonder if we maybe have to start going the uh, fantasy football route and eliminating the last couple weeks i know some folks want to end leagues on september 1st i don't know that i'm there but um it's getting rough and the the roughest thing and again to make it centric on this league i just talked about just for this example uh it's a head-to-head league when they don't put guys on the il i now have a roster do anything with with Christian Yelich because it's a keeper league I can't cut him and so uh that's always frustrating about the expanded rosters now maybe that changes next year when they go down to I believe just 28 in September but um what what are your thoughts on like ending seasons earlier than than the end of the season yeah I'm with
1: you I'm not I'm not ready to go there yet I know the discussion has gotten much bigger our buddy Joe Sapia is one of the biggest advocates for it I've seen many others mention it. I think the biggest thing is I've. I, I think I can't remember what show I heard it on, but they're starting to make leagues where the commissioner can
2: go in and mo- put guys on the IL that yes. aren't
1: like, and that would be huge. That would we be a do that in CBS? Right I
2: have a CBS NL only league, and if you show me a note on RotoWire Wire or Roto World that says that he's out for the year, I'll put him on the IL for you. Um, but in the, this ESPN league I'm in, they don't have that autonomy, and so they need to, they need to have those sort of tools because, uh, it's rough and, you know, you don't want, you don't want to limit guys, uh, and, and have them lose because of something silly like that, that's out of their control. exactly And so I think maybe the ending early is more viable for head to head than Roto. Cause Roto, you know, we play start to finish stuff happens and it gets yeah. a little wonky in September, but it's a little wonky in May or June. And we don't notice it because it's May or June just cause it's September and it gets a I don't know that we necessarily have to end early in Roto specifically. Head-to-head, I'm a little bit more open to it.
1: Yeah, head-to-head stinks, and that's why I'm not the biggest head-to-head fan because Roto shows you a good baseball team over a whole season, kind of what we watch on TV. But head-to-head is kind of a a week-to-week thing, and when you get kind of screwed in the end like this, it really does hurt what really was a great season and showed you we're a very good fantasy team. Mm -hmm. You might not end with the crown, though. It's kind of a shame. It's kind of a, a mixed bag there. But, but um, there's but that of ways is what head-to-head head is. Yes, I mean, it is. And like you know that going into too. it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's my biggest like pet peeve or, I guess, argument I tell people that are on the other fence of complaining about it. I said, well, you signed up for this. You, like, you, si- that's exactly what you signed up for. Yep. Yeah. It's not like this is new. <laughs> this isn't the first time we've seen it. So it will be interesting to see how things change, though. It definitely will. It's, it's very good topics. I'm pretty sure it'll be talked about a lot this offseason because... This year it just seemed like it was a little more than normal. But you brought up a great point when they when they change it to twenty eight players next year. That has to affect, you know, guys will go on the IL, so on and so forth. That
2: should have a difference. I, I really hope. So. And and we always have to be careful about recency bias. Are we exactly. overreacting to it this year? I don't think we are, but I also didn't do the research to go see how many stars got hurt last year. So it's one of those things that I am kind of in between on. But I do think a lot of it's going to be fixed next year with the uh, with the change. Yeah,
1: it feels like it's more than the normal, but you're right. It could be something really minute in the end of it. Uh, when you're speaking of bias, before we go back to pitching, the bouncy ball we're seeing this year, two oh. years ago we saw it, then it didn't really happen last year. It's here this year. I'm, I don't know what to expect. None of us know what to expect, but how are you game planning for that come draft time?
2: I mean, so there was an article out, I believe, uh, goodness, why can't I think of his name? Maury Brown. I was going to say Maury Willis, the baseball player. Uh Maury Brown uh, over at F- had an article quoting Manfred as saying that something needs to be done. You know, like they want to do something about the ball. Now that didn't get into any specifics to suggest that they were going to change it next year or whatnot. But I think I'm going to mostly assume that it's, it's going to be the same with maybe, you know, a 10% dip or something. Uh, But I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to make too many distinctions. Here's the thing. If we assume it's going to be the same and it's not, I don't think we're hurt more than if you assume it's going to be different and it and it's the same. I think you'd be more hurt planning for a drop-off that doesn't come than you would um, – or no, no, no. I, I, I'm twisting myself around. If you don't act as though it's going to be the same, you know, just pretend that it's going to be the same offense and draft accordingly, and then it isn't, I think you'll be set up just fine because you'll be stocked in power. You'll have some front-end pitching. If it changes and some of the middle tier pitching comes up because the ball, won't, you're in any worse position. So I would say just operate as pretty much status quo. If it if they do change the ball, you'll be fine.
1: I think that's very very sound advice, and be fun to see the, see how that takes place next year. So we can all panic on steals and pitching and leave the the power alone. That sounds mm-hmm. like the fun part there. Let's go back to Mike Miner. We'll jump around here for a second. He's he went around 337 last year in an FPC. In the two early mocks, he went around pick 125. He had a really good start to the year. The end of the year kind of was jumbled mess, like goods and bads in there. For sure. How do you go forward with him? Because that ballpark is always going to be hitter friendly, but he seemed to do better than most there.
2: He does. And two things. Well, his breakout, uh, Mike Miner's kind of surge started in the second half of last year. If you were really kind of keyed in on what he down the stretch last year you might have been in on him and taken that massive discount on minor getting him after pick 300 and just benefiting greatly secondly they're putting a roof over globe life i think it's actually a new stadium it's a new, altogether. new ballpark, new ballpark and, yeah. and so with a roof That's going to curb some of the effects of the climate. It'll be, of course, climate controlled. And so that's going to help things too. So even if you are worried about some of these home up late, in fact, the last three starts in particular, 18 runs, including today, uh, 18 runs. And I believe because when I first did it, uh, I ran the numbers when I was making my notes here. It was 18 and 18, but uh, he went those extra inning and two thirds. So I think it's 19 and two thirds, but 18 runs. Oakland shellacked him twice, and Boston, they still hit him, right? No matter how deep you go into a game, a five-earned run outing can't be good because even if you go nine, that's a five ERA, and he went eight and two. So the last three starts of the season were rough. But before that, he'd been he'd had a 3.08 ERA through 29 starts. So I like Minor. I, I in fact we can parlay it into or or, or go it right into his teammate Lance Lynn. I think they're both nice lefty righty workhorses. Mike calling him a workhorse feels weird because of the injuries that he went through, where he actually missed two full seasons, 15 and 16 all told. But before that, he was developing into a bit of a workhorse. He comes back, has the great relief year with KC, goes to Texas. No one wants a piece of Mike Miner in Texas. He's a home run guy. His home runs didn't really go up. They kind of stayed the same, and he's been really good. I, I trust Miner and Lynn to be perfectly solid. I'm open to them at their ADPs. I like a little bit more because I think he is the the true workhorse. He has not had anywhere near the health scenarios that Miner has, but um, Miner's had all sorts of stuff. So I I like Lynn more, but I think both at their price, uh, I'm open to taking them if they're there when I'm kind of looking for a pitcher.
1: I know I'm with you there. I I think it's very interesting, Lynn. You get a a little more of a discount too, and I think the upsides, I guess to me it feels like the upside's better with Lynn, more strikeout upside, kind of more – I don't know – the way I'd say is more like a bulldog mentality where he's going to gut it out in those tough games in Texas or I minor, mean. maybe not. Um, I think there's a lot to like that. And to think about, we were all laughing at that contract last year.
2: I know. And you know, the thing of it is we, uh, hindsight of course is, is easy now. Yeah. Cause we saw how well he's pitched, but two things, one, We should have been more keyed in on what Lance Lynn did with New York. He only had a 414 ERA, but it was a 217 FIP. His underlying skills were absolutely brilliant. If he hadn't allowed 9.6 hits per nine, which I'm sure had an inflated BABIP tied to it, he'd have been much better with New York, and I think we'd have been more interested in it. Secondly, three for 30, you can post a 520 ERA for 150 innings and be worth 10 mil in major league dollars like they can't lose on that contract when it's three for 30 and frankly the year that he just put up 201 innings of a 3 FCRA for Lance Lynn that basically earned the whole contract I mean he has to do virtually nothing for yeah I mean that's just the way that the economics work in the game these days that 10 mil a year for a pitcher that you can feel pretty comfortably is going to get at least 175 180 innings of quality work that's easily worth 10 mil they stole Lance Lynn and that's a
1: great point they basically got two years free like you said so and, and with Texas if they continue to struggle now you flip them doesn't cost you anything you get something mm-hmm. back there's a lot they can do with that. They got minor cheap. They got Lynn cheap. Their team is getting younger and better, but I think they still have a ways to go in that division Agreed. with the Astros and company. But it is interesting to see how they made that work. Let's go to another young team, the Chicago White Sox, who are getting closer and closer, but still seem to have a little bit of a gap there to where they need to go. But Lucas Gilito, man, he went around pick 444 last year in NFPCs. but He had this monster season. ADP, people are loving him, went around pick 53. We saw some highs and lows with Giolito, but more way more highs than lows. How do you feel about him going forward? Because what people forget, this was a former number one pick that just didn't pan out with the Nets.
2: Yeah, he really was. And he had a chance to be the number one overall if he hadn't had Tommy John like coming out of high school. And so he dropped down to 16 because of that. It, I don't think it was set in stone by draft, but shortly after it was like, okay, well, he's going to have to have the TJ and, let's go mo- and move forward with that. He was literally the worst pitcher in baseball last year. When you factor in the fact that he made made 32 starts, Lucas Giolito did, he walked the most in the AL with 90, and he gave up the most earned runs in baseball in 18. I think you can quantifiably say he was the worst pitcher in baseball to the point where I wasn't even ranking him season. I think I had him deep on my initial list in March. He got off to a while we started. He had a 619 ERA through three starts. I'm like, here we go again. I mean, Giolito just sucks. And so I took him off my list. Wasn't even ranking him. To then, from that point on, and by the way, his next start after the first three was only two and two thirds because he got hurt. So he was pitching brilliantly, five strikes, two and two thirds, no hits, and, and then hits the IL. But from that point, 26 starts of a 314 ERA with 210 strikeouts in 160 and two-thirds innings. You mentioned there were some ups and downs, particularly with the home run rate in the second half. Mm-hmm. But I think the second half struggles are a little bit overstated because even if all he does next year is post the same 376 ERA that he had in the second half with a 35% strikeout rate and 29% strikeout minus a walk, which means he has a 6% walk rate, I'll take that all day. Now, you're paying for an ERA better than that, but with that number of strikeouts, uh, factor in a little bit of improvement for the White Sox, so hopefully he can at least maintain a third, if not do something better. Of course, predicting wins is difficult, but I think that they're on an upward trajectory. I I am a little surprised with exactly how high he's going, um, but I will say from the time that, giolito went about pick 53 on average to now one of my favorites that we're going to dive into a bit later noah Syndergaard has really gone on my crap list i i'm i'm starting to peel (laughs) like like I, i he met he's so maddening Baba, I, 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 I just don't understand it. Um, yeah. To, to he's full tilting. Between excellent and awful, the way he does, and against the teams that he does. The opposition doesn't matter. When Noah Syndergaard is off, me, you, and seven dudes are going to put, put up four or five runs. When he's on, The 27 yankees in their prime and he's going to strike out 15 of them it's maddening though and so you know so he was uh went ahead of thor in those two early mocks and i was like nah i don't think i would do that now i'm more open to it but guys like maybe charlie morton zach granke they're more boring i understand i think i might still take those they're at least all three should be closer uh, he went about 12 picks higher than them, so about a round if you're doing 12-teamers. These were 15-teamers, so not quite a round. I, I like those three closer together, but I really do like Giolito. I became sold on him pretty quickly into the breakout after really pushing away from him. When I thought that he was terrible, but he went up on guys that um, that have pedigree and, and are you know expected to perform at a particular level. Now, you can only do so much, right? In a dynasty league, maybe that just means hanging on to them and reserving them. In 19-team like team mix, though, like you can't be expected to have drafted Lucas Giolito and then held on through those first three starts when he had a 6.19 ERA. Because even if you took him with your last pick, it looked like same old, same old. Mm-hmm. And so you you cut him, and then he was a free agent, and somebody got a huge windfall. But I think what we we are learning more and more every year, and this is just the way the game is now, is you have to jump quickly when things start to change, and then ask questions later. So the second that he comes off the IL and he beasts. Boston and Cleveland. It was three earned and twelve and a third innings over those two starts for Lucas Giolito. You have to jump right there, and then just see what's what. uh He ended up dominating Toronto back to back starts, and then a shutout at Houston, and that was when you knew he kind of arrived. And so, um you know, I think it's loosened my thresholds of one jump on somebody that has the pedigree and and shows an inkling of it. There's going to be times where I'm wrong and go right back to being a, a, a dumpster again two starts later but I'm going to take those shots because you never know when you're going to find that lightning.
1: Yeah, no, and that's a good point with G and we've tried it with other pitchers in the past. There's always a couple every year that, that take that step that people don't think they're, they're going to take. And I remember when uh, G threw that, that shutout against Houston, it basically broke Twitter that night. It was a wild night, how he just dominated a really, really good team, a healthy team in Houston at that point in time. So I actually started in the main event. You I was, I was oh, well, feeling that's, myself. That's, a, that's
2: a real ballsy move at that point in time. And, this season. and you know what? Uh, Noah Syndergaard crapped all over the outing. Shortly thereafter, it might have been the same night. I actually have both their pages up here, so let me. No, it was the very next day. Oh, and do you want to know what team he faced, Baba? The Marlins. What team? Uh, no, he had faced the Marlins to start before. The, he faced the AL Marlins, the Detroit Tigers. Oh, he yeah. gave six turns <laughs> on ten hits in five and a third. And maybe that should have been the day that I quit Noah Syndergaard. I don't know how I lasted with him the rest of the entire season. You know, I make this move here. I'm like, listen, it's early. I like what Giolino's doing. I'm going to get this chance here. And, of course, it panned out even more brilliantly than I could have ever expected. And I'm feeling myself. And the very next day, the rug is completely pulled out from under me.
1: Uh, Noah Syndergaard has been known to do that this year. And like you said, you you want to quit him. I quit him going into this year. I just can't handle a guy. It's almost like, you know, Giolino's awesome, the kind of – overachievers not the right word but they overachieved what they were supposed We expected yeah we're where Thor just underachieved so much because you see that ceiling and he's always so far away from it it's so frustrating that it's just like you know what <laughs> you just you want to just break something sometimes
2: when he's on the mound it's crazy. Like the other night against Miami was another example it's yep. ridiculous uh, and ruining seasons I'm sure folks oh, yeah. saying okay I'm gonna I'm still gonna stick with here last week because it's Miami he can't hurt me and what does he do he hurts you uh Stephen Matz is on my, my on my crap list for that as well in my head to head league but uh yeah it's going to be frustrating if Thor does put it together and put up like you know another one of the 284 anything- in 2016 because I stuck with him so long, and then he'll do it when I finally quit him. And his current prime, just he's just not performing to a level that the 65th overall pick, or excuse me, 55th is where he was going in those two early mocks. Yeah. And um, I, I'm not going to pay it that round. Nope, I passed on him. I know Justin was
1: happy to get him, but I'll i uh, will pass on him every time. I'll take, uh, I think I took Aaron Nola over him. I'll, I'll take that, gamble. But um, don't blame me. Let's go to Jack Flaherty. This is a guy that... People were high on him. I'm not saying they weren't. He went pick 51 this past year, finished his ADPs around 43 in the two early mocks. But what Jack Flaherty has done in the second half of the season, I believe an ERA below zero, I mean below one in the second half no, of the I like, season. I like, it's better
2: that you say yeah, below That's zero. That's how zero good he was. was. Yeah, yeah, he, he was, was ridiculous. He was taking runs away. It uh, felt like that at it. times. Like If you're yeah. a Cubs fan, you can only imagine. Oh, I know. I know, right? I mean, uh, he was winning games to minus one. Uh no, he's absolutely <laughs> bananas. I mean, this is speaking of the Cubs, this is a Jake arrieta esque second half from uh yes. what was it, 2015. Uh Herman Marquez second half from last year. Now, here's the thing though, I invoked those names on purpose because what do we know from that? It last. And so while it is great, and I, I do believe that Jack Flaherty is very good, and I would if I did a re-rank today, I would move him up from the 18 spot that I had, I'd probably move him closer to 13, 14, but I think he was 10. uh, uh, It was 11, and pick 43. Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit higher than I will take Strasburg. I think I'm still going to take Sale, even Corbin, and then Castillo, Giolito, Flaherty's a trio that I have pretty close together. I think think the second-half tax, Flaherty's going to price me out, even if it's by 10 picks. Bubba, you know this. When we're up in the top 50, five six pick difference is 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 big it, it doesn't seem like much but th- at that level five six seven ten picks that's a big difference obviously Huge. once we get to pick 150 150 to 160 is nothing uh, and then you know it moves down but at this point 42 uh where Flaherty went or 43 on average in the two early months that's a little too rich for my blood I would wait the 10 picks and take the aforementioned giolito
1: no i could feel that big time that's why i wanted to mention him and then another guy that obviously wasn't as strong as flaherty and giolito is zach wheeler who in august had three straight starts of five and three earned and five earned and you're starting to think oh no here we go giving yep. up a ton of hard contact in his last six starts or five starts to finish the year one earned run in every single one of those starts three straight starts of seven innings pitched he looked outstanding tried to keep the mets in the race ends the year he might have one more start to go it has an era below four it was a rocky season for wheeler but we saw signs of what we did like now there's a good chance he won't be in new york next year which will be nice but what are you thinking of a guy like zach wheeler who you can get you know almost 30 40 picks later in some drafts or what was the two early mocks uh, yeah pick
2: 140 right now people are down yeah. on zach wheeler and and I, i'm not gonna be i was actually really bought in coming into this year and uh so i was keyed in on exactly what was going on because he I had him on so many leagues and it was kind of that up and down interesting thing too because he wrote another big second half but the but the actual breakdown was was quite a bit different this year it was a 469 first half and a 277 second half if you just do the all-star break breakdown this year last year it was a 540 ERA through May but then the last four months of the season was a 252 so it was a little bit more of an extended period of Don- for wheeler last year but i'm still impressed by the way he finished and i'm eager to see where he lands that's gonna that's gonna decide things i do think that if the angels can't reel in garrett cole who they seem to be early in on right now uh bringing him back out to california because i mean they have to stay aggressive with trout and otani uh, i think wheeler would make a good consolation price for them first off he's going to be markedly cheaper Uh, he won't be but he will be markedly cheaper than Cole. And I think that that would be a decent fit for them uh, to kind of headline their rotation. I still really like Zach Wheeler. And when he's on, he's got a great fastball and then a deep secondary arsenal that can really carry him. And so, you know, if he kind of goes out to LA for the angels, I don't think Zach Wheeler's going to really see his price skyrocket much. In fact, I think he's going to kind of live in this 139 range. You know, we've talked a lot in the two early mocks across the industry about guys who are going to go up, maybe some guys who are going to go down. I think Wheeler's going to kind of stay where he is. I don't know that there's a situation outside of obviously Houston. Anybody that goes to Houston as a pitcher, we know that they automatically go up. I'm not going to get Zach Wheeler either because I don't think they're going to resign Cole. I think they're going to stick with what they have in-house um but yeah i don't think there's a situation where wheeler's price is going to go way high so i'm going to buy at this 140 level
1: yeah i'd be very very happy to get him around about 140 i was high on him coming into the year as well i didn't get him anywhere because apparently there's people higher than me on him but uh, you mentioned garrett cole yeah yeah i I know we weren't last year in tgfbi together not this year but um just for fun real quick
2: you said cole's not going back to houston where do you think he goes I do think the Angels are gonna are gonna pony up for him. You know they've yeah, made some mistakes definitely. with some big contracts, um, but a little bit different than than either of those. I mean, the thing of it is, you didn't really need hindsight uh, to understand that the Pujols and Hamilton deals weren't set up to really succeed. I do think a, a mega deal for Cole is a bit more set up. First off, he is on the right side of thirty, at least for at least another year. He'll be twenty nine next season. He should be coming off of a, a Cy Young win or Cy Young runner up. I'm a Verlander guy. I'm a so uh, that's where my heart is. But if Cole wins it, it's totally understandable. Honestly, they should share it. I'd like to see the voters actually split it because I I have a hard time really splitting the two. But um, yeah, 29 years old, coming off of two brilliance, uh, obviously with Houston, he's learned a lot. I think he'll take a lot of it with him. I know that uh, you know they helped him help mold him. I don't think he just how to do that and reverts back to the pittsburgh guy that he was which was underutilized i blame that a lot of that on pittsburgh so i think cole's gonna go to la with the angels Uh, like i said they've been rumored already i really think it makes a lot of sense and that is where they should put their money i think that'd be a phenomenal move like you said
1: they invested in trout they have otani try to get the best player that we've ever seen play baseball into the playoffs. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, please. Like, please. Something. And that's,
2: that's the thing too. Like, I I want, maybe I'm also willing that into existence because I want it to happen for that exact reason. I want to see trout honey in the playoffs.
1: Like he deserves it. We deserve to see him there. It's like, it's ridiculous. The best player never been in the postseason. Not well, even that once. close. Really? Well, once. yeah. Once JC waxed them three. 0. yeah. That was rough. That was a rough sight. <laughs> 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 Hungjin Ryu. He went around pick 171 last year but and has had an amazing season. I think there might have been some recency bias in the two early mocks because when we were doing the mocks, he had a couple 700-run starts, a couple 300-run yes. starts. Rough go of it there. I don't see him going as far as 114, but at the same time, he never really gets the proper respect, it feels like, Paul. Maybe you think, you think differently than I do, but the guy is super talented. We know there's always an injury concern there. We know there's always the Dodger IL situation but he's been great this year and he's come back and been a little better since his last stint on the I.L. Where do you see him going in
2: 2020? I think he actually will go around here or later because of the bias of, of age and health. First off, age bias is absolutely a thing in, in fantasy baseball and he's going to be 33 next year. And this one seventy-five innings that he has. I don't know if he's pitching again this 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 year. Uh people are also going to factor in playoffs. If they make a deep run, they're going to say, well, he, he went 200 innings and can he hold up. And durability is an issue uh, with him because he went 122 when he first got over here from Korea, from South Korea. And, and then since then, the highest he'd ever go 152, including a, a fully missed season in 15, a four and two third inning season in 2016. But the thing is, since 2017, while the volume has not been there, the skills have been. This is obviously a brilliant season where he's going to lead baseball in ERA for you. But if you just look since 2017, this is not a being great for him is not new. He's fourth in ERA since 2017, minimum 380 innings, which brings the threshold down. All the other guys up near him way more innings. But he had a 197 in about a half season last year and a 377 the year before that, which isn't elite, but it's solid. So if you kind of look at the range there, he could either be sub three again, or if he pushed to like 377, as long as it comes with a good whip. And I think he was a little unlucky in 2017. If I got like a three, let's call it 350-115 uh, for 135 innings with just under a shot per inning from Hunjin Ryu i'm fine with that uh the win potential is going to be substantial because of the dodgers you know it, he he could get lucky and spike tw- wins in like a you know 24 start season or he could be closer to nine because you know he doesn't have as many starts but i think ryu and i think the game that we play in today, lower that you don't need to worry about the fact that he rarely goes you know more than 120 things. Uh, I think guys can be top 30, top 40 starters with that kind of volume if they're good enough it was the 33rd starter off the board. So I think if Hyunjin Ryu stays around this level or even drops, which I do think is possible, uh, that I'm going to be in on him and have a few shares for sure.
1: And there's a very good point you made there on the, you know, it doesn't have to throw a ton of, ton of innings. A, because of the era that we're living in now. And just B, if they're quality over quantity, that's what you want. I was preaching Bingo. that this past year with guys like Steven Strasburg, and given this year, he's actually thrown a ton of innings yes. out of nowhere. But, you know, you saw all the projections, 160, 170 innings, and people were saying, I need more than that. And I'm like, well, why? If he gives you 170 and gets you a three five or better ERA with all the strikeouts, what are you missing here? I don't get it. That's a good
2: for this, because not only... But while it wasn't what you would project, there was the tinge of upside that what if he stays healthy? And he did. And you got 203 innings an NL best 17 wins. And then the great ratios that we've been getting throughout his career. Um, The ERA has been a little bit high for, for an ACE 374 last year, 360 back in 16, but the whips always excellent. The strikeouts are always excellent. And frankly, even with the lower volume, his wins have always been pretty good. The last uh, six years here, or seven, 14, 11, 15, 15, 10, and 17 wins. That's six seasons uh, for Strasbourg there. So, I mean, Jacob de Grom can't sniff that. He throws 34 starts a season. And in that time frame that I just gave you, Strasbourg threw 34 starts just once. No, it's well, crazy, so I didn't mean to derail Ryu's no. discussion into Strasbourg, but I've always been a Strasbourg guy and I love what he did this year.
1: No, I think it's it's a good transition, like, just to kind of discuss strategy-wise, and I know this isn't a strategy podcast, but it's something people need to think about more, is it's not just, you know, numbers, at the end stats are great and all, but there's many ways to get those stats. You mm-hmm. don't have to get them just one way, and I don't think, I'm not saying everybody, but it feels like not enough of that kind of strategy gets put into place, at least where I pay attention to it. Let's go to another guy, Sonny Gray, who, when he went to New York, we, we've we heard it all. You know, Eno went and documented the <laughs> slider usage, all that good stuff, goes to Cincinnati where he reunites with his pitching coach, and it, it's all history from there. He's going to pick 111 in the two early mocks where he went and picked 258 in NFBC, just had some uh, elbow surgery to clean things up yesterday. I don't see that being an issue. No. But Sonny Gray looked phenomenal this year, Paul. Are we buying into this for next year?
2: Yeah, I think I think we are and I think we should. I mean, don't you love when when the narrative actually plays out perfectly? I mean, it's exactly what we were talking about, right? Get out of New York, uh reunite with Derek Johnson and let's see what's what and and it couldn't have gone any better. Uh, 287 ERA, 108 whip, 31 starts. I mean, we'll talk about how he's a smaller right hander and he's going to struggle with staying healthy. It actually hasn't been too bad 33, 31, 22, uh, but 26. uh 23 31 as far as the starts. And the 23 last year was because of performance, not because of health. He actually made third. And so he's actually been relatively durable. And you mentioned the elbow cleanup uh to end his season a little bit early for Sonny Gray. But I love so much of what he did. I'm definitely open to buying him. In fact, uh I like his teammate Luis Castillo and Gray. I'm out on Bauer personally. But uh, if he's just their number three, that's a nice front three that Cincinnati's put together now for next year.
1: Yeah. They put together a fun little thing there. I think they will have some cash to spend next year and uh, they might be a little better than people think. We'll have to wait and see that division is tough, really that's tough the thing. Yep. And I don't see it changing anytime soon.
2: No. And I think uh, the Cubs are going to retool. I think Madden's mm-hmm. gone. Um, I don't think Theo's gone. I think he'll work. And, and, put together some things, trade some guys out, move some assets, and they're going to kind of retool. They're not going to rebuild, of course. They have to retool on the fly. And St. Louis is good. Milwaukee will get healthy and and still be good. And. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh's on the down end, but Cincinnati's going to be a team that you, you didn't really want to mess with them much in the second half uh, of this year because they, they had pitching that could really shut you down. If their offense had played like last year, they could have already been scary, but the offense took a step back this year while the pitching took a step up. If they mix the two next year, they could be one of those teams that all of a sudden is a one hot streak away from being a wild card contender. Yeah,
1: no, they were closest here, so I completely agree with you there. Let's go to Tampa. Tyler Glass now, who was pitching phenomenal, got hurt, unfortunately. But then he's mm-hmm. come back, and he's done kind of the opener thing to kind of get loose, just to get a little little more innings in him before the offseason. He's, he's actually looked great in these last few performances, striking everybody out again, kind of getting our hopes back up for next season. I absolutely love this guy. It's funny, another pitcher gets out of Pittsburgh, and look what happens. What's your take on Tyler Glass now? Because some people might be concerned with the injury. I'm
2: not I think this guy is the limit for this kid. Oh, anytime somebody has a big injury but they finish uh I'm so much more encouraged by it even if it's something like Luke Weaver who's come back and thrown like a couple you know, two inning stints here, I, as long as they're on the field to finish the season, it's so much more encouraging than kind of having that angle in winter of like, Oh, are they what's going on? Um, and glass now has been amazing since returning. This was another one that was a wait and see for me. I wasn't ready to dive in head first, the way some folks were based on what he did in 2018 with the Rays. you know, we saw improvements, but that, again, I go back to that command versus control. He improved his control with Tampa Bay, but then his command, which was always bad, stayed bad because he gave up a bunch of homers. So again, it looked like he was just laying the ball in the zone to try to show that he could do it consistently But he did do it for 55 innings. Then this year, he's really put the two things together. Again, it's only 56 innings, so these are small samples. But we're really seeing the command and control work in unison with the great swing and miss stuff. And this is why people were so hyped on Tyler Glass now when he was with Pittsburgh. And again, I'll I'll hat tip the believers. I was somebody who was staying cautious. I didn't want to buy I don't really see guys at this size figure out things all that often and sight at this height or near it is uh, like Randy Johnson, one of the all time greats. You don't have a great case. So I was like, I gotta see it before I'm going to buy in. I've seen it. It hasn't been for a major inning sample, but I'm buying in on Tower glass now and I'm open to paying the premium form next year. And frankly, I, I don't know who to pull for. Cause I kind of, I kind of did it, the Rays and a's. Um, I like what their front, what their front offices do they have a lot of interesting players if they end up playing the wild card game though whoever wins that uh really gives houston a run for their money because they're really interesting ball clubs there and if it, if it is those rays with glass now and snell could you imagine if they tandem started those two in a, in a game like that'd be that'd be a super ace for for you know it'd be the same as having just an ace um, if you each of them three or four innings and then turn it over to the bullpen
1: yeah and that's what you with those teams like that you wouldn't be surprised if they did they actually use exactly. their brain when they put their their stuff out there they, they they've actually used these little different strategies to their advantage unlike some teams where it feels like they're doing it because they have no choice the,
2: the, yeah they're the, doing because the exactly. do they're doing it to do it because it works
1: um and it, it will be interesting i'm with you like i live out here in, in, close to the bay area i love to see oakland i, I love this oakland ace team just the way they Me do too. things but I've all I've always been a Rays fan, like you know Yancey and the guys. They've they've got me hooked on them the last three or four years. I I, I take a lot of people off uh, preseason every year because I pick the the Rays to at least get the wild card and compete for the East. And people think I'm crazy. But um, I think they're yeah. just, they're, the, the, those two teams are pesky. And it's like, Always. you don't want to
2: run into a pesky team in the postseason. <laughs> it's scary. Well, and, so. and one of the things I learned early when I first started getting into the, the whole stat revolution and Moneyball and stuff, and that's part of why I like the A's is because I love the book Moneyball. And, and that got me into caring about baseball the way I do now. And I could have never guessed that it would become my career. But is something Bill James said, if you're average everywhere, you're a great team. If you're just solid average everywhere, you're a great team. And these two teams have above average at all spots, but they, they, they stay above that, that average line or right at it at virtually every spot they do it with depth they do it with uh prospects they do it by utilizing their triple a ball clubs they're always having guys come up and down it's frustrating for fantasy but it's yes. brilliant the two teams uh work their work their farm systems into the uh into the season
1: yeah and another way to look at it if, if you're average everywhere you're a good team it's because if you really look at it that means you have no holes anywhere exactly which is tremendous so that, that's a great way to break it down and they they epitomize that and that's you know, when the Giants, you know, won their three World Series, they weren't great teams. They were not you know, great they, at they, all. Yeah, they, they fit were average that everywhere.
2: And they had, again, all three of those teams, the, the current A's, Rays, and then the 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 great Giants. They have above average spots. You know, Matt yes. Chapman's a superstar, and, and but you know, when he's pitching, is, a, is an ace. But the bottom line is that at every spot, they're making sure that it is at least average. Yeah, no, that's a great, great point there. A couple more guys we're going to talk about
1: here today. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, he's been a godsend to the Minnesota Twins, one of the mm-hmm. reasons that helped them win the AL Central. ADP-wise, in two early mocks, going to about pick 196, but the guy had a sub-4 ERA. The XFIP was about 4.4, 4, but he gives you about 160 innings. We've seen that 150 to 160 for the most part for three straight years. He's one of those guys you can get later in your draft, maybe as a your fourth or fifth starting pitcher. What uh, what are your thoughts on Odorizzi going into the next year? Because he should be with the Twins again in a very good
2: situation. This is a guy I like, and I'm, I'm, I am I'm think I'm more inclined to buy in on and not get so hooked on that X-Fit, because I think he can kind of beat his his, his peripheral numbers here each of the last two years. He has spot team, but he's a career 10% guy, despite a heavy fly ball lean. It's because when he works up in the zone, he's getting pop-ups and playable fly balls. Um, it, it, it's to really make that great contact on him with the via the fly ball and he gets a lot of strikeouts at the top of the zone as well and then did because they're very much a forward thinking organization now. Is they limited him in innings? It was five or six pretty much every time out, not pushing him and saying, Well, let's try to get that extra inning here. No, you're done. And it's, you know, we don't want you to fall apart. OPS by time through. First time, 610. Second time, 629. Third time for Jake Odorizzi, 883. So once that third time comes along unless he's decimating like a Tigers or a Royals or a White Sox it was time to get him out and they remained committed to that and that helped foster a brilliant season. So the market doesn't seem to have reacted too strongly to his uh breakout season here with a 196 ADP how oh, Andrew Heaney's going ahead of him. Um you know, I like Jesus Lazardo but he hasn't done anything yet. I mean he, I mean he actually has pitched in the majors so I shouldn't say he has- doesn't anything, yeah, but no starting, he hasn't done enough. no starting value. Yeah, he hasn't done enough to go ahead of of Jake Odorizzi for me. So, uh, Caleb Smith going 30 picks higher plus rounds, it's actually 34. Justin picks. Mason drafting on all these. <laughs> there's no chance that I'm taking Caleb Smith over Jake Odorizzi, Um, because the thing that you might be worried about with Odorizzi is a home run problem, which is what Caleb Smith already has. So, give me the guy on the better team, more and been more durable. I'm 100% with you. I think there's a lot.
1: To take home with that one. Last guy we'll talk about today. Eduardo Rodriguez kind of hinted at him already. He's going a pick 146. He was in that Pavetta um, Bieber grouping. He kind of got a slow start to the year, but his finish has been nothing short of extraordinary. And it's what we all kind of hoped with Eduardo mm-hmm. Rodriguez. And we finally saw it with Eduardo Rodriguez. And he even did it against the big teams like the Yankees. It wasn't just against, you know, the Orioles of the world. He looked really, really good. Took that next step, developed another pitch. Are you believing that he can continue this going into 2020?
2: I do have some some interest in him. I've I've been on the Eduardo and go round quite a few times at this point. He's only going to be 27 next year, but this was his uh fifth fullish season, we'll call it. He's had at least 20 starts in each of them. That that's a pretty that's a pretty full sample there to call it five, five seasons of play. You mentioned development. Pitch that he can really rely on now, and that's what he was really needing—something that he could go with fastball, uh, changeup. And he finally has this cutter here that that's definitely served him well since May first. He's had a 3.31 ERA, but a 130 WHIP. Similar since July first. So whichever cutoff you want to use, the ERA is down to 2.74 but the whip's actually even higher at 132. And when I see an ERA whip combo that doesn't match, if the whip is the high end, it means the ERA is likely to come up. But if I can get like a 340 and 127, if it can shave that whip down just a little bit and I can get that mid-low threes ERA, I'll take that because I actually still think there's a lot of strikeout upside here. He's been at 26, 26, and 25% the last three years, which is a good rate. That's about a strikeout per inning or just over for Ed rodriguez with the way he has swing and miss stuff and when he gets going i think he could be one of those guys who's up there in the 11 12 mark which would be a, a 27 28 percent rate i i still don't think we've seen the best of rodriguez notice that a lot of the aces really become full-blown aces in that 26 to 29 age range and then carry it into their 30s he's gonna be seven next stay in the old magic 27 thing that used to be a fantasy staple back in the day i'm just saying five ups and downs for him he's had a lot of lower half issues with his health finally stays healthy for the big 196 inning season i think next year could be a big breakout for eduardo where are we going in the two earlies i'm 100 with you i've been a big eduardo fan seeing him produce was great and i think you
1: are getting to value where he's going in the two early mocks so it'll be interesting to see where he goes in a couple of weeks in Arizona when you guys do your big drafts, and they've added more drafts this year. So that'll be fun to see what all happens there. And then as the year approaches and more and more NFPC drafts take place. But Spore, this is always a great time chatting with you. Um, we have many more pitchers to talk about in the future. We'll have to do it again sometime. But before I sign us out, why don't you remind everybody like all the awesome stuff you got going on?
2: Yeah, let's run it back in the fall for sure. Because I, I I went too long and and cut off some of the names that we were going <laughs> to no talk no about it's there. all good because I'd rather uh, have I, I'd rather have the free flow discussion more than a uh, straight outline any day of the week. That works for me too. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at spore. That's S P O R E R. I usually tweet out all my stuff there. FanGraphs uh, Fantasy dot com. Excuse me, fan Fantasy dot fangraphs.com i run the uh, rotograph side there and uh, we're going to be going all season we don't take breaks we cast the sleeper in the bus i do writing i, I write over there i do writing that <laughs> great great uh, he, he, does too. he does talking too. i was talking too. i do the, i also stream on twitch twitch tv slash spore that's a, a video streaming site i play mlb the show and i'm always talking baseball there. always talking fantasy stuff so if you are one of those diehards that that has baseball in the brain all year long uh then i'm i'm, I'm your guy because I, I keep it going all year
1: yep spore is a great follow for like pretty much if you're listening to the podcast you know who paul spore is but uh yeah go check him out if you don't for some reason and all his great work and that twitch stream is uh, a popping at all hours it seems like it MLB the show so go check all that out and Paul, thanks for joining me, man. I, seriously, we will do this again and talk some more uh, pitchers going into the next season. Thanks so much for having me on, Bubba. Take care. You too. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 214, talking some 2020 starting pitchers with Paul Spore. Catch you guys later.